This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. To receive a free copy of Bob Buford's classic book, Halftime, moving from success to significance, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and today, John, we have an interview that you did with Rob Holman. I wasn't able to be a part of this one, but you afterwards sent me a message and said, Steve, this needs to go next week. And so it's airing today. It's coming out today. And you know what? I've gotten to know Rob and Rob is just uh, such a dynamic teacher. You know, some people just have a gift, Steve, to just share the things that they've gone through in their life from being a professional basketball player to having this massive tumor in his stomach mm. that was supposed to be fatal. And if you were in what you're going to hear about the story that he was healed, boom, overnight, miraculously. Wow. But you know, some of the things that he has done that you're going to hear about is how he's just taken who he is into the business world to be able to build some incredibly powerful, successful companies to start some nonprofits and, um, you know, one of the things he talked about is, yeah. you know, we, we have this kind of this concept about, you know, hey, we need to get outside the box, think outside the box. How do we even think yeah. outside the box spiritually? And he talks about this whole thing that that entire concept is is a flawed yeah. concept, doesn't work. And he's going to share with us how he actually thinks and, and helps his folks and his companies to think uh, that has just had some powerful and transformable results. So I know you're going to just mm. love this conversation with Rob. It's one of the, the favorite interviews I've done in, in quite a while. So uh, enjoy, everybody. All right, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. Uh, you know, you got many of you are familiar with my journey, and it's just been really connecting to, you know, my purpose and my calling. And I think that has been such, uh, and and everything that went up and you know went into that was such a powerful and important process for me. And then I got to meet Rob Holman. And Rob, this has been a passion of yours and what you do as a speaker, as an author. You do work internationally. You're, ex- you're recognized internationally as uh, you know, to helping leaders, but really connecting into this whole area. And man, just welcome to the podcast, my friend. John, great to be with you, man. I Some of the offline conversations we've had have just been uh, such an encouragement to my soul, my spirit, and I'm looking forward to uh, being with you yet again. So thank you for having me. Well, I'm so glad you're here. Just to, you know, you, you, uh, a little background on Rob, everybody. He's a executive coach, leadership expert. You can see why he and I uh, had a lot to talk about. Keynote speaker. <laughs> Uh, you're now an author, and I'm, I would call myself an aspiring author. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Your first you're, more, bo- you're, you're more of an author than you realize, trust me. Oh, thanks, man. I, th- I think that's probably true for a lot of us, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, just getting to know your heart, man. You just have this heart for really developing these true, you know, meaningful, authentic relationships. Um, and you have this uh, kind of this innate ability to see inside of people and just kind of see the potential that maybe they're not seeing and pull that out and, and just equip them and just share some of those skills, that knowledge that, you know, that they're looking for. And I love that because that is a huge part of my passion. And, you know, you guys are going to hear that passion just coming out of Rob's voice as we have this 
um, conversation. Um, you just have this great teaching style. And I know that you've, you know, you've worked with just countless business owners, executives, leaders, and you have this process that you've come up with um, that's called the Inside Out Leadership Coaching. And I know that's trademarked, and that's also a big part of what's in your book. And you really help people just connect to that life purpose. You know, are they finding success in a way that they haven't expected, right? Um, you know, how do you connect to that? Because it's always been my philosophy, right, that that inner game determines the outer game. And everybody's kind of focused on the outer game, the results that we're getting, our goals. I I don't know about the women out there, but especially myself as a guy, like I get f- focused on the goals and <laughs> and sometimes, you know, forget to kind of slow down to work on that inner game. And, you know, you've been a serial entrepreneur and I love that title, by the way. <laughs> I, you know, I told my, my wife, like, how do you describe John? I'm like, well, serial entrepreneur. She goes, what does that mean? <laughs> right. I, I'm like, you know, honey, anybody and anybody who's an entrepreneur will get it. She's like, okay, that's all right. right. <laughs> Very true, man. And, and same with my wife too. It's just, it's kind of, it gets, grabs people's attention that may not be as familiar, but those that uh, live out similar walk of life certainly get it without a doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Now you start a lot of for-profit and also non-profits. Um, you're currently, uh, you founded the Holman International, you're the CEO, and you've also uh, founded uh, the Meeting House Ministries, which I know we're going to talk about also, which is this international uh, kind of simple church network. And, you know, just to get started, though, I'd love for people just to get to know you the way I have a little bit, Rob, is just share a little bit about kind of your story and kind of this journey that led you to all this work and, you know, what you're doing now. Well, it's a, it's a joy. And, uh, you know, everyone has a story. I was just sharing with uh, someone, a group of people that I was speaking in front of the other day, that one of the most powerful things any one of us can do is not just know your story, but own your story. Because the more that you know who you are and fully embrace your story, you know, the world is waiting with bated breath to hear it. Because people can argue all day long whether they think the Bible's real and it's all truth cover to cover or this is true or that's true. But one thing people can never argue with is your story. And so my story begins, you know, as a young kid. And I remember literally my mom, I was as young as five, and my mom's telling me about this person, Jesus, and uh, and how she was articulating about this person, Christ, you know, who he is as a living savior and what he did for me on the cross and being raised up on the third day. And he's alive today. He actually, he's for me. He's not against me. He's actually for me. As a five-year-old, this sensitive five-year-old boy that wore his heart on his sleeve, I was more than intrigued. I was like, mom, I'm in. I'm in, mom. Like, what do I have to do? And I remember exactly where I was in our living room on the couch with my mom. And she, and I remember praying to receive the Lord into my heart. Well, I'll tell you, John, that started obviously a journey for me. And, uh, but if I'm honest, you know, life happens and I kind of grew up and uh, mom and dad and our family was far from perfect and grew up in a Christian home. Uh, but mom and dad had some problems arise in their marriage and I have an older brother, younger sister. So I'm a middle child. I'm the peacemaker. Can we all get along? Yeah. I'm, and, the, I'm uh, the same spot in my family. Are you really? Yeah. Total, yeah. So yep, we, total peacemaker. That see? Was, I hated conflict. Yeah. Same exact thing. And I'm, you know, I'm the same today. I just like, can't we get along? Let's focus on the positives. Let's not go down the road of negativity. So anyway, so life happens. Mom and dad had some problems in their marriage. Uh, and so they were basically separated in our own home 
for a number of different years. And they would, you know, I only knew going to like a family therapist, family counselor growing up because it was a way for us to vent and to uh, get out our emotions and stuff like that. So, and I thank God for that. I thank God for a family counselor therapist that we had, because if we didn't have one, I don't know where I would be today, honestly. And so in the midst of this um, back and forth with mom and dad, finally, after my junior year of high school, they decided to get divorced. Well, my mom took me to a local lake and told me uh, that her and my dad were going to get divorced. Well, my brother and sister, they handled it differently. We all do. We all handle trying, challenging times very differently. Well, this kid who wore his heart on his sleeve, now I'm in high school, uh, and I had counselors told me that I had kind of numbed myself from reality because I was in so much hurt, so much pain regarding my parents' relationship for so many years um, that you know, I didn't want to feel the pain anymore. So I kind of detached myself from when mom and dad would argue or, uh, yeah, just different things would arise within the family dynamics until my mom took me to this local Creek and we sat on a bench and she said, you know what, your dad and I've tried almost everything and we've decided to get a divorce. And let me tell you, John, at that point, the emotional cord was put back in and I, I wept. I, I had, tears, so much heaviness, so much came out. I just sobbed on my mom's, uh, on my mom's shoulder for a long time. And, and I, because I knew, you know, I, I knew that God had always intended for my parents to be together and for him to be the center. And now they're, they're broken apart and there was a finality with it in a sense. So Anyway, so now I finished my senior year, of high, senior year of high school. I was a high school basketball player. That was a tremendous outlet for me as well. And then now I have my sights set on college. And I was, uh, you know, had a pretty good high school basketball career. So there was some uh, Division One, Two, II, and Three basketball, uh, you know, colleges looking at me. And, uh, and so I landed at a small private university right outside of Philadelphia called Widener University. And, um, so my journey continues and, you know, let me just tell you, I'm going to fast forward the story for the first three years of my college career, I was still hurting inside. A lot of people did not realize from the outside because I still love people. I still love the Lord. Um, but a lot of the hurt and pain I kept on the inside. So I would oftentimes take late night walks around the college campus, my first three years of school, and I would find, you know, go behind dorm buildings where there was no lights on and I would. I would sob, I would weep, and I would say, God, where are you? I'd lay my frustration out there, my discouragement. I said, if you're here and you're, you, it doesn't appear like you're doing anything, and I would cry and I would have you know, just tears flood and snot in my nose and just everything, and, but I would keep coming to God and I would keep wrestling with him for three years until yeah. what I'm about to share with you rocked my world. But keep, yeah, go ahead. So, Rob, you know, during that period of time, right, uh, you know, what kept you coming back? Because I know a lot of people, right, and they're, they're in the middle of the grind. And it's sometimes, you know, I, we kind of see this concept of the, the grind that we go through and God's grace as these two separate things. And I really believe that they're actually woven together and completely integrated. But sometimes in the middle of, you know, periods like this, and we're just not sensing the, you know, the the guidance, the direction, that relationship. Sometimes it's, you know, for some people that that man that that's a struggle, right? Yeah. Oh, it, it is. And for me, I'll I'll share this. I I knew in the depth of my heart and soul that God was real. I mm. I was I was I just knew it. I knew it. 
I just knew it, but I didn't have words to adequately describe it. But so there was definitely a foundation and anchoring in my heart and my soul uh, that was there. However, a lot of this wrestling was, God, I know you're real, but I'm not experiencing you in the way and or ways that I want to and I need to right now. Mm. Like, I need you to show yourself in the midst of this turmoil and this wrestling, I need you to show up with the Superman cape on, with the Superman outfit on, and save the day. And I, I didn't, I wasn't experiencing God in the way that I wanted to experience him. You know, it was kind of like, if I could use this as a picture, it's kind of like the Pharisees when they're, they're talking about God, they knew so much about God in scripture, but yet Jesus was brought before them and they missed God. Right. They miss, they miss God in flesh right before them because they were thinking, or, you know, many of the Israelites, many of the, you know, thinking, you know, many of the Jews thinking God's going to appear to be the savior who's going to conquer the political aspect of things. And, you know, the rider on the white horse, who's actually going to, his kingdom is fully going to reign and fully come and just take over while Jesus was actually, while he walked the earth. And yet he said, I'm going to flex my muscles by dying on a cross. And it's like, well, hold on a second. Did I miss you? Did I miss who I thought I knew who you were? That's where I was in my heart. I knew who he was, but yet I hadn't experienced him in the way that I thought or I wanted to. And so what happened was in the midst of that, until my senior year of college, the summer before my senior year, I'm 21 years old, and now I have a mass in my abdomen area that's clear. It's so painful. And we're now in the end of July, heading into August, and I and I tell my mom about it, and, I'm, and she's like, "Rob, we got to go to the doctors, you know." And it wasn't going away. It wasn't one of those things that just kind of came and went. It, it wasn't going away. Very painful. So I finally say to my mom, "Mom, I'm going back to the college campus. I'm going to be getting a basketball physical as soon as I get there." So this is the end of August in 1997, 21 years ago or whatever. And and so um, I go back get the, uh, go into the doctor and the doctor checks me out and the look on his face, you know, doctors are supposed to play pretty cool, John. And this doctor is trying to play cool, but basically he's saying you need to get tests done right away. So he's, I can, he's, he's nervous and scared. And then you're oh, thinking, Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> if, if, yeah. If he's nervous and scared, uh, what do you think I'm going to be? Right. It's like, Oh man. Yeah. And double down this, on that one. Double down, 21 years old. I'm a captain of the basketball team. We're NCAA tournament bound, you know, the my senior year for the tournament for basketball. And now I'm 21. I'm struggling spiritually, emotionally, and now physically. And I now walk out of the doctor's office a half mile across the campus until, my, until I reach my, my college apartment. And it was the loneliest walk of my entire life. I was literally numb to the world. I had no feeling, no feeling. I was just numb. And in the depth of who I was, I was automatically thinking the worst because that's oftentimes what we can do. I'm 21. This is arguably supposed to be the best year of my life. And I probably have cancer. And I don't even know how aggressive this form of cancer truly is. Well, unbeknownst to me, I go back, we schedule appointments. You know, my parents and I, my parents helped me schedule appointments. And this condition I had went undiagnosed for nearly a month and a half. I got CAT scans, MRIs, ultrasounds, you name it. I got it multiple times. The mass was so unusual. The doctors were not ruling out cancer. They didn't know what it was. Well, coming from a Christian family, 
And friends, you know, we were praying for healing. Right. Quite frankly, a month and a half into this thing, we're praying for a diagnosis. Because at least we know if we get a diagnosis, we can we can do something with it and know what exactly to do. Yeah. So, so here's what happened. I go see this ultrasound specialist at UPenn Hospital after about a month and a half. Now I'd seen tons of different specialists. Well, this specialist had all the previous test results in from all the doctors all over the place into, into his office. And he begins to check me out. And let me just tell you, he begins to check me out. And he says, I cannot even describe what I'm about to truly share with you because I'm a little dumbfounded. You no longer have a mass. And I'm like, oh, hold on a second here. What, what are you trying to tell me? And when he says, he said, now a second time he tells me, but this time, John, he says, I want you to look specifically at the ultrasound screen. I'm going to show you that you no longer have any mass in your abdomen. I cannot explain what has occurred here. And when he begins to show me and tells me a second time and now shows me on the screen, you can imagine my eyes are locked on the screen this time. And when he tells me and shows me in the depth of my very being, you know, when the apostle Paul says, you know, and, and David and, you know, different people say, or, you know, say our inmost being or innermost being our heart. I mean, the depth of who God truly created us to be in that place in me. Jesus Christ became so real, so fast that I'm like, it was like the best way I can describe it. It's like spiritual fireworks were going off on the inside of me. Mm. See this Jesus that I had known and I'd followed up to this point. Like I knew one day where I'd be going. I knew that, you know, part, you know, when I left that world, this world, I was going to spend eternity with him in heaven. He, he was my, he was my savior, but I had not yet truly even understood what him as Lord was in my life. Like, what's this mean to really give my life over to him and follow him? That my life is no longer mine, but it's his. Is this the point, Rob, where this like started to become personal for me? Because that was a big challenge for me, right? I, I had this amazing kind of a experience, experiencing the Lord and the spirit, but never really connected it for a long period of time up through my accident, which was a few years ago to this personal relationship because somebody asked me, you know, when you were in God's presence at the accident, how would you describe him? I'm like, that's a great question. I've never thought of it that way before. And the first word that came to my, my mind when he asked me that question was friend. And mm -hmm. it was in that, it was in that moment that I actually connected Christ as a person that already had a relationship with me that was, that wants me to have that same relationship with him. That's right. Man, you were just hitting on something so core. I could not agree more because I went from this, in a sense, a little bit of this distant relationship, at least that's how it felt on my end. Not from God's end. I, from my end, I felt distance. But now this started to change everything. I could call him friend. You know, what mattered to me truly mattered to God. What mattered to God mattered to me. And, and John chapter 15, which has become such a, uh, a, a life passage of scripture for me, you know, it's the passage of scripture that says, abide in him, he'll abide in you. Draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. And out of this place, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, out of this place of intimacy and love and nearness and relationship, you'll bear much fruit. See, and so it actually says in there that you no longer have to call him master, you can call him friend. So I think when we begin, whether it's through an extreme um, 
thing that's happened in our life, like what happened to you or what happened to me. But for others listening, it could be something that wouldn't seem to be as extreme. Right. It could exactly. be something subtle. It could be something, you know, maybe like, you know what? I really was challenged because dad wasn't around as much as I would have hoped for him to be around when I was younger. And that really hurt me. But, you know, it could, it could be, it could be a number of different things. But at the end of the day, you know, God is trying to awaken us. He's trying to awaken us that he's, he hasn't gone anywhere. And that in the midst of this awakening, he wants to reveal that he is who he truly is. He is an intimate God who calls us friend. Therefore, we have the opportunity and the invitation to call him friend. And when this friendship is, uh, if, when we're brought awakened to this friendship and this friendship is fostered and developed, a natural byproduct of that is our eyes just become opened. Now we begin having his perspective on our, on our lives, on other people, on our circumstances, on the world around us. And this opens so much up. John, I mean, it just opens everything up. So for me, coming out of this experience, my eyes were open. And it wasn't all an overnight thing. You know, it's like the Apostle Paul when he says he learned the secret of being content with whatever the circumstances in Philippians mm-hmm. chapter four, right? So much in our life. I think there's a point maybe in many points of our life, many areas of our life where maybe a switch goes on, so to speak. But then it's a process of learning experientially who this living God truly is, becoming uh, better friends with him and allowing him to be better friends with us and a, a pure enjoyment of relationship. But I'll tell you this, the awesome thing that came out of this for me personally, see, up to this experience, you know, purpose for me in life was hanging out with the guys and going drinking, winning the next basketball game and getting my name in the paper. But now I was asking a whole other set of questions. Like, who are you, God? What are the plans that you have for me? What's this partnership in life together supposed to look like and be like? And here I am now, 20, 21 years later. Whoever would have thought that now I get actually a chance to help people discover or rediscover their relationship with the Lord and why they exist on earth. It's it's pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. And you know, the uh the process you went through, right? Because I you know, it's it's a common question that comes up. Everybody, you know, listening to this podcast right now is uh, you know, this whole concept of, you know, just kind of connecting to that purpose, that calling, and it really is rooted in that friendship. But when you're speaking, I know you do a lot of work. Primarily, the work that you do is in business leaders, connecting this kind of in the yeah. yep. the traditional world, which I'm sure that, you know, John Maxwell always told me, right, you have to connect before you pull. And I have no doubt mm. that this is for you, creating yeah. those authentic, meaningful relationships where it gives you influence in people's lives. But, you know, what does it look like to take somebody and say, okay, what, what, what is kind of those steps forward into that place like you're talking about, right? They, you know, they got to get out of the box. They got to, like you said, before we started, you know, recording, right? We got to move beyond the box. And part of that is that that box is like filled with, you know, you know, who we are, our identity. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it's these, uh, a lot of beliefs and values that we think we should have that we've kind of allowed the world to impose upon us versus who we are. So true. And, you know, and 
uh, all of our experiences. I also think there's things in that box that, you know, that are actual, they're lies, but we've accepted them as truths about ourselves. So there's a ton of junk in this box, you know, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, professionally, you know, however, you know, how we see ourselves. And a big Mm. part of moving beyond this box is first of all, I had to do it with some help, but I also had to make a decision that when I got, when I did move outside of that box, here's what I found is every time that there's pressure and noise and stress, I don't just go back into the box. Yeah. I get down on my hands and knees and I just crawl back in that, that sucker. Cause man, it's just, <laughs> even though it's kind of gross in there, it's comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so you have to make that decision before you leave the box that when that yeah. when life happens, you're not going to just crawl back in. That's and that right. takes some intentionality. And it so- sure it, it sure does. And and you know what? You're getting me going. I, and I'll tell you, John, I bet you I'm not the only person you get going. I am honestly <laughs> it's, it's so neat when you have so much synergy, uh, you know, synergy with someone like you. And we have so much so many shared experiences, just in some, th- you know, our relationship with the Lord, some some things that he's done in our lives. But I will say this. This may be a paradigm shift for some. And I. You know, I've done. I've had the opportunity to do work in the Middle East. I've done work in Afghanistan and uh, been there a number of times. One of the things I've really learned and and greatly appreciate about the Middle East is they don't think think about things uh, in boxes. In Middle Eastern culture, and again, this is how the Bible's written in Hebraic ways, Hebraic thinking. Um, see, in Middle Eastern culture, they think of things in holistic terms. See, in the in the West here, we're influenced greatly, and it's not bad. We're, we just need to know we're influenced greatly by Greek culture, Greek way of thinking. Greek way of thinking is uh, categories and boxes, uh, so much more black and white in thinking. See, the Eastern way, it's holistic, you know, stories. And, you know, there's there's different things that relate to other things in our life. And so there's a lot of dotted lines, a lot of gray that kind of meshes together. So talking about a box. I want to encourage the listeners, think of your life uh, not so much from a box in and outside the box, but I, I'm a firm believer, like God is is beyond the box. It, you know, he thinks of things. So a way to maybe help you is, is think of your life, think of, listeners, think of your life as a wheel with many spokes. And the wheel, right, in the center of the wheel is you and your relationship with the Lord. You know, John chapter 15, you're abiding in him. He's abiding in you. Out of this place, you'll bear much fruit. The wheel just begins to, to, it begins to turn. There's movement, there's momentum, there's growth, there's multiplication, there's reproduction, there's everything good and healthy, you know, always reproduces itself, right? So the kingdom's always advancing. It's whether or not we're advancing with it. And so, so picture your relationship with the Lord and, and his relationship with you. And, and that's the center of this wheel. And then your life, there's so many different things that you're involved in probably, right? You, you're, you may be a dad or a mom, you, you know, a, a, um, father or mother, a business owner, an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur, as John and I are, uh, whatever they get, you know, a boss, a leader. And we see if you just keep it in the box and say, well, this is my life over here. And then I've got to go and put on this hat over here and keep it very black and white, like categorical in nature and different boxes, different aspects of your life. I, I don't know. I've lived in that place. It could be very tiring. Mm. It can lead to very unhealthy striving. But if we can begin to view our lives with this wheel, with Jesus being in the center and our relationship with him, with many spokes, it's liberating because now 
you know, it's about Christ and it's about a relationship with him. It's about, it's about our vibrancy and, and growing experientially in greater depth in our relationship with him. And out of this place, the wheel just begins to go. And every aspect of our life, every spoke in the wheel is just naturally impacted in this process. And so in the midst of that, um, just even the paradigm shift that I'm explaining, you know, we have to unlearn some things to relearn some new things. And I've just found out, like, if we and if we can even start there, like, just having how we view our relationship with the Lord, how we view our lives, wow, now we can go about our life and our perspective on life out of a different place. And I think a huge foundation, practically speaking, of everything we're talking about, it's about perspective. And the Bible actually calls it renewing the mind. When we can begin to gain God's heart towards us, our heart towards ourself, and in our relationship with the Lord, and see our mind renewed, you know, and start to have more of the mind of Christ, now our eyes begin to be a bit more opened. Now we're much more receptive to learn from him, to learn from other people in our midst, and be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And that's where true momentum happens. Yeah, and I love that thought about, you know, renewing the mind, right? It's about thinking differently. Because when we think differently, the, the same circumstances and events and things in our life we're now going to have a different thought about what's happening, which is going to be a different feeling. So maybe instead of anger or shame or guilt as that feeling, it's going to be something totally different that actually serves us well. And then, you know, that thought and that feeling leads to the action that we take. And, you know, you talk a lot about, right, it's about how we lead ourselves. And part about leading ourselves is we have to recognize, you know, these actions that have been repeated over time. You know, those are what we call habits. And a lot of those habits don't serve us well in our relationships and business, spiritually, whatever they happen to be. And that is that, you know, renewing the mind, that is that root, that foundation of actually changing those actions that we take to actually change a habit. I, I can't go in and just say, okay, I want to, you know, change how I eat to lose weight. That's this habit. I have to go all the way back to the core of how I think and go. feel about myself, my body, just you know, health, nutrition, all those things. Uh, that's how I was actually able to finally lose 50 pounds and keep it off. Wow. was totally connecting at the root, not just saying, hey, I'm overweight, I need to lose some weight. And I think it's the same kind of metaphor in, in every area of our life. And I know, you know, in the book, I just, I'd love to talk about the book you wrote, and I can't, and yeah. I'm really excited to read it. It just came out. I right. ordered my copy. It's on the way. Yay! That's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Right? And, and you called it Lead the Way, and it's all about these, this, these inside-out leadership, right? It's, I'm sure it's about, you know, what are those things that we do need to change and how to change them and how do we become that version of our best self? Because if we can move, even just take those small steps forward toward our best self, I believe that outer game, everything in our life is going to, you know, up level. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And we're hitting on, you know, in the book, John, I share obviously a lot about it's all about perspective, right? The foundation in which we're talking about uh, perspective having in our lives. A second foundation to build upon the first would be redefining success. Redefining success. If you think about it, oftentimes we get caught up in the current of allowing our culture to define success for us. And that could be actually pretty dangerous. Because th think about how our culture defines success. And sadly, you know, a lot of the church culture and a lot of believers and followers in Christ and get sucked up in this too is, you know, 
Well, you've got to make a six-figure income by this age. We've got to, you know, have a book by this time. We've got to get married by this age and have kids, you know, two or three kids by this. We've got to live in, move into a single-family home by this time. And is that allowing our culture to define success for us? Or do we have an opportunity in our relationship with Christ to define success for us, depending on what really matters to him and what matters to us in the midst of this relationship? I'll give you an example. Like, it's see for me, I've defined success and I make decisions accordingly. It's not about numbers for me as much. Now, maybe another person it would be. So it's not as much about as much about how much money I can make or even how many people ultimately I can positively influence. It's about God send me the one receptive person. It's about the one. Mm. because I know, and boy, isn't that reflective of the ministry of, of Jesus? It's like, he's all about the one. Now he spoke to the crowds and he had influence over the crowds and in the crowds, but he was oftentimes about the one, you know, when he spoke to the woman at the well, when all of a sudden Peter denied him three times, and he comes back in his resurrection. He's meeting with Peter on the beach and he's, he's eating with him and he's saying, do you love me? It's about the one. And I could go through biblical example, biblical example, that Jesus often he makes it about the one. And what that does, what that uh, demonstrates to me in my own life is it shouts intimacy. It shouts presence. It shouts, um, you know, everyone and everything else fades away in this moment, in this time, in this season. But the person sitting right across the table from me, the person on the other end of the call. And now they matter. And so I've just, I've defined success as, it's about the one. God, I pray accordingly. Like, God, who's the one for me to meet today? For me to influence for you? For me to maybe give that word of encouragement to, that get, potentially could change the entire trajectory of their life. And I encourage, I encourage everyone listening. You know, you have an opportunity right now to define success based on the things that really matter to you and matter to God and in your relationship with him. Don't get sucked up into the current of allowing our culture, allowing a worldly culture, American culture for some of you to determine it for you. You have an amazing opportunity to uh, take the bull by the horns a little bit and start discovering or rediscovering some things about your own life, things that truly matter so you can define it for yourself. Well, I love that you said that, you know, and, you know, as people listening, right, there's in, in this world that we live in, this culture, and it's just gotten so more... I don't know, connected's not the right word, right? It's not connected mm. in a personal way, but dynamic. And there's just a lot of pressure and noise. And what have you found helps people to kind of turn down that external noise so that yeah. they can actually start to do and have some of these thoughts and think uh, you know, through some of these things that you're talking about, Rob? Yeah. You know, it goes back to when I was five years old and I was in kindergarten. And John, I don't know if you remember this, but the, the kindergarten teacher would say, okay, it's quiet time. And uh, <laughs> I hated quiet time. I, I, I did too. I did too. I, <laughs> I just I, wanted I, to move around. Oh my goodness. Well, to your point, right? So everyone would get their little floor mats 
mm-hmm. and space out in the room and whether whatever it was, it was 10 minutes. It, it seemed like an eternity for me, but it would, let's say it was 10 minutes and I would naturally gravitate towards the closest person around me. And I was like, life's way too short. I got to just talk and get to know them. Well, <laughs> the teacher didn't like that so much. And so I got into a little bit of trouble uh, just between me and you and your entire podcast audience. Um, but uh, I've learned some things since then. And I've learned the importance of having quiet time. And everything in our culture says we got to go, 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 go. It's about setting the next goal. And then when we accomplish that, we got to set the next one. And it's about go, 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 move, 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 because we've got, because we just got to keep moving to try to get ahead. But see, the kingdom, the rule and reign of Jesus, the kingdom, the king's rule and reign, he's all about, you know, he's not in a rush. So why should we be? Now, I did, it almost can seem somewhat contradictory because I did say earlier, like, you know what? The kingdom's always moving. It is. And I always say, and I also say, are we moving with it? But it's how we're moving with the kingdom that means everything. See, oftentimes the, the kingdom operates and functions in things like patience and stillness. Look at even Jesus before he chose the 12. He spent time with the Father all night, the Bible says all night with the father in intimacy and engagement and probably a lot in listening prayer. It probably wasn't even as much about Jesus speaking as he was just listening to the father and in it through this listening and certainly some level of dialogue and back and forth, it became clear who the 12 were going to be. And out of the 12, we know Jesus had his three, Peter, James, and John. And out of the three, he had his closest, which was John, which was John. It gets back to the one. And so what that says to me is we need to take, we need to have some quiet time, but the quiet time doesn't need to be like the antsy Rob or maybe John. And when we were five in kindergarten, like, I just want to talk because it's the life's too short, but like learning the importance of like, when we take time that we set aside and just, just to be with God and allow him to be with us in this intimate place again, because we go back to, we can call him friend. And that he's for us and he has a lot of amazing things to share with us. When we can posture ourselves and we can have time set aside, that just breaks the levees down in our life of being more sensitive to the spirit throughout the course of the day. You know, I always say this, John, I say, if you want to know what God's voice sounds like in the craziness of the day, first learn what it sounds like in the stillness of the night. Mm. And it's that place of stillness and quiet before God to where the father has some really affirming and encouraging things to speak to us as his sons and daughters. And so I, uh, I couldn't encourage people more that when the world's tugging on you to not be quiet, that's how, you know, you got to spend time in the quiet. Yeah. And you know, that time in the quiet, when you can just really think about your circumstances, who you are, um, you know, that really starts to change our perspectives, don't you think, on how we view things? Totally. You know, the Bible says as believers in Christ, we have the mind of Christ. That's an interesting thing. So out of this intimate place when we're taking time, the quiet time, you know, we're listening probably, or at least, at least this is what I found in my life, I should probably be doing a little bit more listening than speaking. And in the midst of that, we get to gain God's heart towards us that much more. And, and we get to gain, like, what does he have to say about this? And thus, our eyes are open to his perspective. Thus, we gain that perspective. So we start viewing ourselves. We start viewing other people. We start viewing the work that we do day in and day out 
more from his perspective and out of that quiet place. And so can you imagine like now a problem comes about, you know, because we're not removed from curveballs. You know, as leaders, we're not removed from curveballs or fires to be put out. But I'll tell you this, Jesus demonstrated it well. Remember when he was in the boat and a storm came in the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night? And I've been at the Sea of Galilee. I just got back from a trip to Israel about a month, a little over a month ago. It was amazing. I was in the Sea of Galilee. And oh, I'll how tell you, awesome. That's oh, on my, that is on my to-do list, brother. Let me just tell you, it was, I'll never be the same. It, it, you're talking about a game changer that now even the written word of God becomes even that much more alive. And my experiential relationship with the Lord is forever changed. You know, I'm at the sea. I took, we took a boat out in the Sea of Galilee. And now the story's read like you know, a storm comes and Jesus, you remember this story, like storm comes and the, the boat's basically going under. I mean, the waves are crashing, the wind's blowing. The disciples are r- running around frantically in the boat because the boat's probably going under and they're just trying to do everything they can to see, you know, and they're running around and they're thinking they're probably going to die and they can't find Jesus. And they finally find him and he's found asleep. And isn't that telling? The most horrific storm that the world could throw and Jesus is found asleep. He's in so much rest and peace with the Father in his heart and in his mind and who he, who he was, who he is, that in the deepest, darkest place, <laughs> the most horrific thing couldn't hold him down. And so he gets up. I love this. He gets up. You can imagine. Like sometimes we read scripture. We're like, they just tapped him on the shoulder. That's how we can almost view scripture. You better believe, man. Those disciples, they were rocking. Jesus, would you get up? Would you get up? And you can imagine him coming right to his feet. He raises those arms. And the wind stopped. The waves stopped crashing. And out of chaos came clarity. Out of the whirlwind, a supernatural peace. And I'll just tell you this. I'm under the strong conviction, and I'm a firm believer, John, that out of this place of quiet, you know, life is still going to happen but it's inside out, right? right? Out of this inward place where the Prince of Peace is stretching out so amazingly and dynamically and intimately in our hearts, powerfully, that we can begin to go into a chaotic world where there's curveballs, where there's messes, where there's trials and there's tribulations and begin to speak and begin to raise our arms up and see things still in the name of Jesus and become change agents that literally can see the world changed one person at a time. Pretty, pretty, pretty dynamic. Pretty dynamic. Yeah. And, and think about this, Rob, you know, that one person that makes a choice to start making some of these small changes, don't you think over the next couple of years they could have a positive influence and impact on 100 people? I mean, that sounds like, <sighs> I mean, that, that's a small goal, right? I'll it, tell you. And what if those 100 people had that influence on 100 other people? Now that's 10,000 people you've influenced in your life. And what if those 10,000 people touched in a positive way another 100 people each? Now each person out there has an ability, I think, over the next four or five years to have a positive impact on a million lives, no matter what you're doing. If you're working in a cube at a tech company, if you're running a company, if you're working at a nonprofit, if you're turning a wrench on a car, it doesn't matter. No matter what. And yep. I think, you know what, when you start doing this and you start taking interest in other people and you and you develop that relationship and you, and you renew your mind and you get out of that box, you start doing these these things. And like your book, 
right? And getting around other people that have done this. And, yeah. you know, I for myself to do this, actually, I'm not there yet, but to move in that direction for me is taking community yeah. and, and to do that with people that, that can challenge me and ask me questions. And I share my goals, spiritual goals, personal goals, business goals, how I want to live my life. Like I wrote my entire obituary after my accident where I should have died. And I have not shared what I want said about me by my wife and my kids and my closest friends and colleagues to them. Yeah. But I've shared it with my coach and, and some people mm. very close to me. And I've given them permission to yeah. challenge me. Are you living in a way that that will be said about you someday down the road? That's right. And a lot of that is continually highlights these areas in my life where I got to lead myself better. That's if right. that makes sense, depend on God more, right? Fight on my knees more, you know, more powerfully and courageous, right? A lot of times a big prayer I have is, right, just give me the humility to be bold in what I do. Because before my boldness came from myself and kind of from my ego. Yeah. But I yeah. want my boldness now to be that boldness that edifies Christ and his work that he's prepared for me while I'm here. And if it edifies him, um, then now you're in a place of humility. Brother, I could not agree more. If there's one thing that the early followers, the disciples, the apostles of, of Christ prayed for, it was boldness. And, you know, in the midst of that, I always, I, I like to say that genuine humility, genuine humility, not false humility, but genuine humility is when you know the skill sets that you have, the gifts, the abilities, you had nothing to do to earn them. They were freely given to you as a gift. And out of that place, you know, again, you did nothing to deserve, nothing to earn these things, that God has knit you together. He's gifted you in such a way for such a time as this to have such an impact on people that you come across that's uniquely different than seven and a half billion people on planet Earth. Man, that's enough to get you up out of bed in the morning, right? Yeah, and, it is. I mean, and, and I love what you brought out earlier, too. You know, we're never meant to do it alone. The beauty of community, you know, community isn't much, you know, a lot of times this could be a paradigm shift for some. And you and I talked about this, I think the first conversation we had a couple months back, but, you know, sometimes we think where we go on a Sunday is our community or we like, you know, we wear that, wear that proud badge of honor. I go here, I go there. And that could be important. And there's no doubt for many of us, that is our community, but our God looks past the banners and the titles and everything like that. And he looks at the heart. And he's a, he's a God that's all about function before form. At the end of the day, do you have, do the listeners have a group of people that are in their life that are spurring them on in their relationship with the Lord, that they're living on mission with, that a shoulder to cry on sometimes, a shoulder and, and, and a, 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 you know, a, a shoulders to embrace, to hug on when things are going good, right? A group of people, small as it may be, a handful of people that you're committed to live life with and all that life brings with it on mission to see many people believe and follow in Christ. And that in function is your church, <laughs> And, and so in that, we need people that can hold up our arms when we don't have the strength to do so. We need people to come alongside of us to look into our eye, you know, or maybe straight before us and look in our eyes and say, this is who I believe you are, even when you can't see it yourself. So I want to encourage everyone that's listening, you know, whether you have one or whether you have a hundred, you know, find those people in your life 
that you can intentionally live life with and encouraging one another and being real and authentic. Because like Moses, uh, when he knew that the battle could only be won below, uh, when his arms were raised, his arms became tired. So the battle below, uh, he started to lose. But Aaron, his brother, and Ur came alongside in community to hold his arms up, and the battle was won. And so that's the importance of community in the life that we get to live. And isn't, isn't it a joy, John? It's just a joy. Oh, I, lo- I love that. You know, I'd forgotten about that, right? Aaron and Ur coming up to hold up Moses' arms. That is such a, yeah. a beautiful picture. I need to actually find that picture and put it up in my office, man, because I, I, I know I need help. So, hey, I, hey, to continue this conversation, how do people get in touch with you, find out more about you, and also um, get your book? Yeah. So a couple different ways. One is just go to robholman.com. Rob spelled with two Bs. So it's R-O-B-B-H-O-L-M-A-N.com. And that has just tons of different things that I'm engaged in. And uh, the other thing is with the with the book coming out, it's uh, called leadthewaybook.com. So I think with those two resources, uh, would be great for your audience. And then, yeah, of course, I do a lot of uh, church planning coaching and start to see churches established all over the world. So uh, that's always a joy for me, too. So if anyone ever wants to get in touch with me, just shoot me an email, and I'd love to continue the dialogue there, too. Awesome. And, uh, you know, guys, as you get this book, uh, this, this is such an important book. You know, Get it, read it, go to Amazon, give it a review. We really want to take a book this important and move it to the top where it really has some visibility so people you know, who are just scrolling through and they're just looking for that right, you know, message at the right time, right? When the, uh, when the student's ready, the teacher appears. So we, we want that, we want this, uh, where they can see it. So go ahead and do that. And also Rob, just as we wrap up, what's just final thoughts would you like to leave with everybody who've been listening in for the last 40 minutes? Yeah, Hebrews 12, 2 is, uh, you know, so many passages of scripture verses, but oftentimes in my own heart, Hebrews 12, 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. With joy set before him, he endured the cross. So I, I just want to encourage everyone in these closing, uh, just, yeah, time, the closing time, closing remarks. You know, whatever we focus on can easily become a God in our life. Remain focused on Jesus. And he will become bigger and even better than you could ever ask or think. So thanks for this time, John. It's been a joy to be with you. And uh, thanks for allowing me the opportunity. Oh, it's been awesome being with you. And thank you so much for sharing this powerful message. And thank you, everybody in our audience, for just being part of what we're doing here at Eternal Leadership. Please, you know, tell a friend, share this message with somebody. You can just go right into the app and forward this message with Rob. So somebody else beside yourself can just hear... um, hear what you heard today. So just thank you, Rob. And just, uh, Lord, I just lift this up and just, you know, thank you uh, for everything you're doing in all of our lives and where you you are moving us toward in your greatness. So you're, you're the best, my friend. Oh, hey, great being with you, John. I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. In 1994, Bob Buford penned the book Halftime, moving from success to significance. And in the more than 20 years since then, more than three quarters of a million copies have been sold. 
It's touched baby boomers in the 90s, and it's now touching the lives of both Gen Xers who are in that midlife season asking, is this all there is, as well as baby boomers who are searching for significance in retirement. To get a free copy of the book, just go to returnalleadership.com slash halftime. And after you read it, if you have any questions, you can have a no obligation one hour of halftime coaching. Eternalleadership.com slash halftime. You can't beat getting a free bestseller. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. <laughs>